by the end of the first year, we were doing a million a month. It was just, it was ridiculous. Crazy. So 85% of our business evaporated overnight. It was devastating. Hey, Rob, how's it going, bud? I'm doing all right. How are you guys? Doing well. Hey, uh, sorry, Manny's not here sitting next to me. His wife uh, got sick over the Christmas holiday, and he's staying home with her, making sure he doesn't have the same thing that she does. and gives it to all of us here at the office, but he might try to call in. I don't know. He was really interested in talking to you because of some of your... Uh, your experience, especially in in the gaming world, in the online gaming world, he's he he's a he's a gambler himself. So he gets excited. <laughs> he's from India and he loves to just. Uh, we're in Wisconsin and he he loves to go to the the Indian casinos here. Like they're they're all over the place in the state, but he just loves to I play. Um, hey, well. thanks for joining us here on the on the business line. How are you, man? Thanks for having me, Brian. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm doing well. So we're here in West Palm Beach, just chilling. 77 degrees. Can't complain. <laughs> Not rubbing it in or anything, Brian. I'm just saying. No, not at all. Not, hey, we were in the 60s on Christmas Day, which was weird. It's like upside down world in Wisconsin, but it's it's back down to 33 degrees when I came in. So a balmy 33. Uh, we got no snow or anything like that, but you definitely got the, the better end of the stick down in West Palm Beach for sure. Yeah. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I've been looking at some of your content that you've got online. I love... Uh, some of your uh, you know, your philosophy on business and uh, and and personal development and that kind of stuff looks looks like we're kind of uh, kindred spirits when it comes to things we've been reading or do read and things in the past. So look forward to diving into some of that. But you know, introduce the audience, introduce yourself to the audience, tell us about yourself. I want to dig into kind of your journey on how you got to where you are today. Let's start there. Sure. Yeah, uh, my pleasure. So. Um, Starting at the beginning of my business career, I was in the right place at the right time, and I launched an online casino in 1997. So this is when people had dial-up and, you know, yeah, AOL. Yeah, I was, was 17 there. in 97. <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit older than that. So uh, it was it was an amazing journey. You know, um, I, I was, like I said, I was in the right place at the right time, and uh, I was fortunate to, um, you know, to get the thing started like I did. And we just took off like gangbusters. It was unbelievable. There was probably only like five other online casinos in the space. And we moved to Antigua in the Caribbean where we were licensed. And we ran the business successfully up to 2010, sold it. And I quasi-retired. And now I started consulting, kind of backed into that in the gaming space particularly, right? So online operators that were looking to get into the digital, into the land-based space and vice versa. Okay. I kind of mediated a lot of negotiations between software operators and land-based casino operators. So let's go back a little bit to 97. I want to dig into that some because you said right place at the right time. What was your experience up to that point? I mean, what led you to the right place at the right time? <laughs> Great question. So it goes back even earlier than that. Um, I was in the Caribbean on vacation with my wife and then I only had one child and there was a sign on the kiosk of a, of a, a casino that said wager up to 250,000 on the Super Bowl. I'm thinking, holy, that's mm. ridiculous. <laughs> so I walked in and I introduced myself and at the time I was working for a handicapping company, a company that's like a tout uh, that I, I answered an ad in, in the newspaper when I was 19 years old and I started working for this guy. Anyway, long and short of it is I said, yeah, I can introduce you to customers. And um, he said, okay, I'll give you a share of whatever they lose. I said, okay. Hmm. You know, so we did that. And then uh, we were on vacation a couple of years later and someone came to him with a prospectus and said, 
we need you to get us the online casino license. And because he had the master license at the time. I said, that's a great idea. You should open your own casino. He goes, okay, and you can run it. I'm like, all right, whatever. <laughs> I didn't know the difference between the whole percentage of video poker blackjack. I said, I'll figure it out. How hard would it be? You know? Yeah. So uh, I went up to Toronto, met with the guys from Cryptologic, which was the software company that we licensed the technology from. And we said, we want it to look like this, this, this. I registered domain names and all that stuff. And um, we went live November of 1997. And we did about 60,000 in business the first month, 100 the next month. By the end of the first year, we were doing a million a month. It was just, it was ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. I mean, it was a, that, was a, that was kind of a, a tipping point time, right? I mean, like uh, technology just gotten to the point where, where we could start doing that at a little bit better of a rate, right? Yeah. Than we could, let's say, mid or early 90s. Yeah, well, so many I mean, people get were that, online. Brian. I mean, the, the, the download time. So the, the software that was downloaded was originally it was like 13 meg. It was ridiculous. It would take like yeah, seven hours. So they, they got a light version. In 97. Yeah. Right? <laughs> they got a light version of it, which had just uh, blackjack and maybe four or five slot games. And then they built a yeah. wrapper around it that would download other games that you're playing. But it still took two and a half hours to download on a on a 14.4 baud rate modem back in the day. Yeah. And yep. people would wait that long because there was just, no really yeah. other option. Yep. But it was crazy. Yeah. Uh, it's like, so, and it was still kind of like gambling in general. I was talking to, I was talking to Matt about this before we got on the, on the line here. And I remember back in the late nineties, early two thousands, as technology was coming, coming around, just being in, in Wisconsin, gambling was really changing, right? It wasn't just wasn't just Vegas anymore or the Northeast. It was or Reno. It was it was the the uh, Indian reservations. Yep. They had some gambling. I remember I remember being in high school and people would turn eighteen. They would drive down to Green Bay to go to a Nido Bingo and Casino, and all they had was bingo. We weren't playing bingo or slots. Just to right. go down there and pull slots, pull slots, pull slots, and then a couple of years later, all of a sudden they had a table where you could play blackjack. Yeah, that was a big deal. And then they sure. had another table where you could play hold'em, and they, and it just started to become less and less taboo as they could do more and more. And I, at the same rate, these things were happening online, where like you said, you you could get this software, and there was a lot of kind of mystery behind it. Is this real? Is this legit? Is this fake? Do you actually win money, or is it just a video game? Yeah, I can remember that time. Well, the best way to keep a customer is to pay a customer. So when a customer wins, he gets paid. You know, we had. A, we at the time, and this is really early. We had a uh, progressive jackpot because we were the first licensee. But then after we came on board, a bunch of other ones did. So similar to what what Megabucks did with the connected jackpot, right? So it's accumulating yeah, yeah. amongst many different operators. We had one where a guy hit it through us for four hundred sixteen thousand dollars. Okay, you know, this is back in probably ninety nine. Yeah, and he got paid. So it was a huge publicity thing for us. It was it was awesome. Dance all over that and let everybody know, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> all right. So you decided, as I, I remember reading on some of your stuff and listening to you a little bit, you decided that at a point in time you could do your business from anywhere. When did that switch happen mentally? So you know, when I when I first started the business, it was literally just me, and then I I got a an admin assistant, literal, not a virtual one, but a real yeah. one in person. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, I got some tech people and then some marketing people and some customer service people and just built it up to the point where, you know, we had 40 employees and they would be able to run everything without my daily involvement, which, 
you know, in the entrepreneurial world, I think the biggest roadblock to companies' success is the founder. And, and oh, yeah. it's, Bottle you know, up, baby. it's because, you know, it's their baby, right? And like you said, they don't want to give it up. But at the same time, you have to be able to delegate and not abdicate, but delegate. So one of the books I read was uh, The E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. Now, I read Great this book. probably 10 years after I sold the business, but or eight years after I sold the business. But nonetheless, it was still inspirational with how people, entrepreneurs think about business. So this was really one of the pivotal books, at least in my mindset, when it comes to helping today's entrepreneurs think through all the potential minutiae that they're doing, that they should be able to delegate that to someone else and think about the big outdoor, you know, out, out of the window, uh, out of the box thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. I read that. I read that book a few years back. Probably, gosh, it, it only seems like a couple of years. Probably five or six years ago. But I can remember reading that and kind of going through the, the stories in there, like the little parables he sets up with the lady and the pie, you know, the bakery yep. and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and, uh, and and you're reading through that and you're like, okay, I'm learning this. Totally going to apply this when we get to that point. And you know, I would say year and a half or so ago is when we, in our company here at Panacea, we started to get to that point. And it was only four of us, but you know, I hired an assistant and I started delegating all these things that were just bogging me down. Yep. And it was hard at first because like, nobody can do it as good as me. Nobody's exactly as good as me. But there's, she's smart. She's great. I'm a terrible trainer, but she's smart. She picked it up and then she just ran with it, which was a godsend. And we all of a sudden last year, we went from four people to 12 people. Now we've got the right seats on the bus doing a lot of different things. Yep. So my two other business partner, Manny, who's usually here with me on the couch and Joe, we're really at the point this year where we're primed to be doing a lot of the things we wanted to do for a few years because we got people to run things. That's good. They're still checking in probably a, maybe a little bit too much. You know what I mean? But we, but that's us not doing a great job of empowering them. So, but I think, I think we're getting better at that. Good deal. How did you, how did you kind of get to the point where you said, I've got who I need and they're smart enough. They've got the ability. And then you just step away and let it go. Again, I think I was fortunate enough to find this guy, Howard, right? So Howard was a uh, programmer by trade. He had his own business Okay. of a uh, software developer. And I knew, so when we built, when when we got this platform from crypto, they didn't have a back end. There was no such thing as a CRM. There was no uh, right. affiliate program. There was nothing. They didn't have a thing. So we had to build everything from scratch. So anyway, I found this guy on the island in Antigua. And uh, it, here's an interesting story for you. So he- So you found Howard in Antigua too? Yeah. Ah, nice. Yes. So- okay. He's he's double sharp. I mean, he's a computer guy. He was doing AI. He went to Cambridge Detail University guy. in England for artificial intelligence okay. before AI was even a thing over here. Anyway, this is back in the early 90s. Anyway, yeah. he built a platform for me that would manage everything. It would take the three data files that I would get from Cryptologic every day, and it would put it into a, a visual format that I could see who won yesterday, who lost yesterday, how much they won, what games they were playing, had their contact information. I could press a button and email them right there from that. Nice. And then he built a, a live chat software platform from scratch using This is almost 20 years ago. This is, yeah, 25 years ago, this whatever it was. It's commonplace now, but back then, that's game-changing. Yeah. 
So it gave us a huge competitive advantage in the space for sure that we leveraged. But uh, so getting back to your point, Brian, is that he was the catalyst for being able to really turn the corner and run this business. And then he would also, you know, obviously being from Antigua, he knew the local culture. He knew how to deal with human resources, how to deal with the uh, compliance officers at the government that would oversee the licensing of the of the operation and, you know, all that stuff. So mm-hmm. uh, I ended up making him a percentage owner of the business just because right, yeah. it was it was worth he's gotta it. be he's got to be in it just like you are right yeah he's got to be invested yeah yeah so that was hugely helpful and that and and that was it awesome yep. so um eventually you got to the point where was it around 2010 you said you you sold that business yeah so in 2006 it was all uh October 1st, I think. It was actually September 30th. Uh, The U.S. passed the Patriot Act. And in that Patriot Act, they stuck a bill in there that made it illegal for banks to do business with offshore casinos. They snuck it. So I'm sitting on the beach at Half Moon Bay on a Sunday afternoon. I get a phone call from my rep at crypto. And she says, as of Tuesday noon, we we no longer take U.S. bets. And I'm like, holy shit. So 85% of our business evaporated overnight. It was devastating. You know, so we we went from 40 employees down to 14 employees. We went to smaller digs. We had just built a quarter of a million dollars on a on a new office complex that we built out. It was it was crazy timing unfortunately because we were growing like a hockey stick and then it just the bet. That was the first and only quarter that we were not profitable was Q4 of 2007. So we like I said we refocused, pivoted the business to more uh, of the European market, focused on that. And, you know, I brought in some uh, people who knew the European market better than I did. Mm-hmm. And we focused on that for the next couple of years. And it was fine, you know, but uh, it never really fully recovered. Not and then I had an opportunity good. to sell it in 2010 and I, I took it and then uh, quasi-retired. And now I just consult in the in this casino space. So what's the consulting life like? A lot of travel? Are you doing a lot of Zoom stuff now after, yeah. after COVID and stuff? Yeah, it's it's more so Zoom. I mean, I, I was out in Northern California at a um, at a uh, a client's location in a small remote part of the of the state. You know, they have a Indian casino, and uh, I do that. But a lot of the stuff I do is digital. And now I, I've actually transitioned and started another site called Pivotal Zen which is leveraging what I've learned in the casino space, marketing in the most competitive industry in the world, mm-hmm. uh, and how it translates into other verticals that don't necessarily need to be casino. Uh, when you read Made to Stick uh, or Good to Great by Jim Collins, you know these things transcend any industry. So I've been doing that, and I've got two clients now that are uh, – not necessarily in the gaming space, but we use mm-hmm. gamification in a lot of the stuff that we do, you know, from what well, you absolutely should for yeah. sure. Yeah. So it's fun. It's a great journey. So what's it, what's it like working in that space with folks? Uh, cause you got to really, when you're consulting, you got to really get in there, um, and get on the kind of same mental level as folks in their environment and really get them to shift, sometimes make decisions that they wouldn't normally get them to take action. What's, what's that like? 
Yeah, so that's a great question. And then a lot of people, I think, have a misconception about consultants in this. And I, I'm not a big fan of the term consultant, but I understand mm -hmm. the value of it. Um, people use it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, the bottom line is what what my job really is, is to get their team to do what they need to do in order to reach the goal. So, yep. you know, what I do first and foremost is reverse engineer. So that is, where do you want to be in five years, right? And then work backwards with the metrics that you need to be at in order to be on track. And then put the people in place, like you mentioned, the right people in the right seats on the bus, figuring out, knowing where you're going is the easy part. Putting the mm -hmm. people in place to get there is the difficulty, you know, because the biggest problem that I find in, in any consulting practice, in any consulting gig is the people who are charged with doing the work that the consultant puts in place already have their gamut full, right? They have their, their plate is full and they're like, oh shit, one more thing I've got to do. And it's, yeah. sometimes it creates animosity, but you have to get buy-in early and then keep repeating it, you know, at, this is what our objective is. This is what we set out to do, right? This is the milestones that we need to reach. And here's the steps that we're going to do, whether it comes from social media, advertising and marketing and, you know, uh, paid ads, whatever it is that we need to do. And so, so I have, I, I developed the three pillars of success in business and they are, it starts with the brand, right? So positioning a brand or repositioning a brand is hugely important. You think about brand is more than just a logo. It's, it's how people feel about your company. When mm -hmm. I say to you, Brian, Apple or Microsoft or Nike, right? Or Starbucks. Something comes to mind immediately. Right. Yeah. Exactly. You, you create this mental picture in your mind. Cool. So does every other consumer. Right. They might not be the same, but the message is coming across in everything that that company does of how the you know, the barista greets you when you walk into Starbucks to how the transaction shows up on your credit card, everything makes a difference. Mm -hmm. right? yep, so that's number one. It. Number two is uh, acquisition. New customer acquisition is the lifeblood of any business, right? I mean, you need new customers coming in. And the way to do that nowadays is a little bit different than it was just putting out an ad. You know, social media influencers is a huge component of that, getting people talking about your brand, getting brand evangelists and rewarding them for it, right? So it goes back to the old days of the affiliate program or people who are promoting your brand in exchange for a piece of the pie, right? Yep. And then the third thing is uh, retention, retention through a loyalty program. And a loyalty program doesn't necessarily mean just points, although that's a component from a gamification standpoint. It means creating buy-in, emotional connection, the re create the reason why someone would continue to do business with your company as opposed to going somewhere else. So those are the three pillars that we build the platform on, you know, and, you know, I'm tech agnostic in the sense that if, if there's technology out there that'll do it better for a real estate company, then it'll do it for a software company that creates, you know, uh, accounting software it just depends on what they need. Yeah, it's it's very similar to something I've heard a, a while back. If you, are you familiar with uh, Michael Dell's three C's? No. So he did this speech a long, 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 long time ago. It was probably late '90s, early 2000s, or something. Um, three C's: content, commerce, community. So, like you're talking, if you if you think about 
successful companies that do that great, just let's if you take Apple for example, the content, the product is remarkable, right? People, um, uh, the quality, all that kind of stuff, right? Yep. And then uh, the commerce, how's money getting made? How are you making the money? How much you making is you know how much you spending to get the to to get the client in the first place, you know, how much coming out the other side. And then the community raving people that will sit outside in line for two days to get a stinking new phone every year, you know, that's changed vaguely a little bit, Yeah. you know? Um, and so, and it's very similar to what you were telling me because what I heard is from a perspective of, you know, uh, the content part, you know, what, what are you doing? How are you doing it? The, the commerce, you know, how are you, how are you making money? Right? How you turn it? How you turn it into to money? And then, how are you getting people to go crazy about your product and tell everybody about it? Right? Yeah. Affiliates, um, uh, referral programs, all that kind of fun stuff. So yeah, I mean, you know, so very cool. Love it. Yeah. It's it's an so, interesting interesting for sure. So what what's your day to day like? What's the day in the day in the life of Rob like? Um, you know, every day is probably a little bit different, but give me some, I want I want some crazy fun stories. I mean, what's what's some what's some neat stuff that that, that you're doing on a day to day basis that you know average folks that might be listening to this aren't doing? Okay, well, from a personal perspective, I go to the yeah, gym every sure. single day except for the weekends. So I've been doing yeah. this for the last thirty five or maybe forty years. Yeah, no, probably Saturday, Saturday Sunday's your recovery day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, cool. uh, I keep in shape. Um, there's far too many people, I think, in, in today's culture that just think, ah, oh, maybe tomorrow I'll start my, I'll start my diet tomorrow um, or, you know, my exercise regimen. You know, there's no better time to start than right now, today. Yep. Um, because obviously, once your health is gone, you can't get it back. It's, it's very difficult to get back. Yeah. So, maintaining it is the key. Yep. Uh, so I do that in the mornings. I don't schedule anything in the mornings, generally speaking. Um, and then I have usually in the afternoons, uh, I'm, I'm being approached probably three or four times a week, if not more, with investment, quote unquote, investment uh, opportunities. So people <laughs> want me to help them in a marketing perspective for an equity position buy. in their business yeah. or something like that, all right, or some some sort of investment. So I, I go through, I pass on most of them, but sometimes I find someone, some that are interesting, and then I explore it a little further. Um, <clears throat> as it relates to the consulting practice itself, like I said, I don't want to say it runs itself, but, and I don't want to sound like an arrogant idiot, but business generally comes to me. I, I do podcasts yeah, you get things like on this. your calendar and you follow up on it, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I have my own podcast called The Loyalty Minute. Saw that. I haven't done an yep. episode in, in, in quite a while. but uh, And that's because I had a loyalty program that I built. I built a platform that is like Rakuten, but it's a white label version of Rakuten called Rewards Everywhere. I just sold it. So, but the reason that I started the podcast was because I was listening to a podcast and the guy said the best way to get new customers is to have a podcast. Yep. So, I started this podcast back in 2019 and I interviewed CEOs and CMOs and CFOs from Fortune 500 companies. It was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And the idea was about loyalty marketing, about loyalty programs and, and things like that. So, it helped propel the business. That I like, I said I just sold it maybe two months ago, but um, now I'm in the midst of starting another podcast called Pivotal Zen, 
which is uh, talking about how to potentially pivot from something you might be doing that you should potentially think about a shift. And, you know, you, you think of some famous businesses that started off or doing what they're doing now, but started off as something different. Yeah. And then the Zen part of it is just, again, from a wellness perspective and looking after your own personal health. So that's that's kind of what I do throughout the day. And then three days a week, I play poker pretty competitively. So you're a poker guy. Yeah. Very I've been cool. playing poker for forever. So just five card draw or what? what, what no, I play, your, I play Hold'em. I play Hold'em at okay. uh, the po- Palm Beach Kennel Club. Very cool. Yeah. So is it is it just the the spirit of competition? You you just like to you like that whole kind of the draw of that, or what? Yeah. Get, which gets you into poker? Uh, I've been playing poker since I'm literally ten years old. It's, it's, there's yeah. stories, you know, from my childhood that would you would scratch your head and say this could. could I started drinking alcohol at ten years old. My parents got divorced at nine. I moved <laughs> to uh, a pretty not rough neighborhood, but it was you know it was a bunch of divorce. Kids that were from divorced families, so we were out. Yeah, so you guys were the 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 rascals, right? Yeah, <laughs> started playing poker, smoking cigars in someone's basement. Where yeah. are you, where are you from, Rob? Originally from New York, way out east, okay, so uh, in the middle of Long Island, actually. Okay, so big city. I can just I can just see this as a movie. Like yeah. you guys, like not in school, kind of sitting in the basement playing poker with a light, kind of moving back and forth <laughs> over the table. You know, it's funny, like I, I grew up in Texas as, as a foster kid and uh, my foster parents, they had a weekly poker night. They had this huge, beautiful poker table. They, it was a big octagon. They'd roll it out of a room and put it into the front room and their friends, and they were in their 60s. Their friends would come over from all over town and they'd play poker all night while I watched R-rated movies on HBO, which I was way too young <laughs> to be watching. You know, it's That's like, great. so that was my influence when I was, but it was great. You know, I'd like... I'd go in there every once in a while and, you know, they'd be drinking their cider playing, yeah. uh, playing poker. So that's cool. Yeah. I love the competition of it though. I mean, um, like I said, I, I track everything that I do on my phone. So, you know, my hobby compared to my wife's hobby, my wife's an equestrian. So she rides her horse, Horses. you know, probably four or five times a week, uh, if not more. And, yeah. uh, some hobbies cost money and some hobbies make money. So I'm up. Uh, or have the potential to make money, right? Yeah. Wow. Well, if, yeah. if you if you if you're doing it right, you should be making money playing right. poker for sure. That's what they say about racing too. Racing's a really expensive hobby if you do it like on track racing, and you have the potential to win money. But most people just dump their money into it, right? You mean car racing? Yeah, like car racing. Oh yeah, yeah that's usually expensive. But I guess you're yeah. right. I mean, people can win. But yeah. So poker. Let's talk a little bit. Like, what's what's the, what's the what's in your in your uh, experience what's the key to winning fold king queen pre-flop <laughs> it's the fold, worst hand king, in poker queen, pre-flop. people say oh, seven because it gives you confidence hand. right it thinks no, you're no, win. No. the you... problem with king queen it is its second best so many times it looks great <sighs> but you're you're in trouble with it for me anyway i mean it's my kryptonite i you cannot win with king queen i've lost more money yeah. with those two cards than anything else but uh the the biggest thing for poker the best thing is position right? Knowing the position in relation to uh, where the action is. If so, last to okay. act is obviously the best and that has more power than, than anything else. Yep. But uh, it, it it's a dynamic game because it changes at every single moment. That's why I like it. 
Well, I, 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 I'm probably going to fixate on this because I mean, I know how to play poker, not well, you know, I've, I've won some money here and there, you know, friendly matches, but like, well, how much of a mental game is it? Cause you, you hear about, you know, folks, uh, you know, playing at the highest levels and it just, you know, I, you watch the shows and they kind of make it seem like there's, a, there's maybe more going on than there is, but how much, how much is it a mental game? Um, it's hugely mental because a lot of it is based on unknown, you know, features, right? You, you don't yeah. know what somebody else has, but you have to be able to put them on a range of hands based on their actions, generally speaking, and then exploit that and play their hand instead of your own cards. So it's some, it's sometimes, honestly, it's not as important as what you have as compared to what they have or should have given the situation. Uh-huh. And then knowing your opponent, right? So people have live tells. They they make, you know, uh, mistakes. And I you see the same people all the time doing the same thing. And then you watch the results. So you have to be very cognizant of what people are doing. And generally, they always try to do the opposite of what they actually mean, right? So oh yeah. So if if someone has a strong hand, they're gonna they're gonna act weak. And if someone has a weak hand, they're going to act very strong. Like, you know, so there's a lot of things like that. A lot of nuances that you have to pick up on. Thinking they're being clever. Yeah. Yeah, I used to play football and I remember on defense playing D-back and and safety, you know, you're taught, don't watch their feet, don't watch their shoulders, don't watch their head or their eyes, watch their hips. Their hips will tell you where they're going every time. Like if you watch their feet, you're going to get faked out. If you watch other things, they're going to move them around and try to fake you up. If you watch their hips, their hips have to point in the direction that the receiver is going to go. And it's very, it sounds, you know, it's very similar. You have to, to know based on what they're doing, what they're, what they're probably going to do next. Yeah. And then, and then finally, the mathematics of it, you know, you have to have a good understanding, even if it's at a high level of the mathematics, so you could calculate pot odds quick enough to say, is it worth it for me? to make this move. And the other yeah. thing really, uh, Brian, is to have a plan, right? So every single time you put money into a pot, you have to be thinking not just this move, but the next two moves. So it's like chess in that respect. Oh, yeah. And a lot of guys that are good at chess and good at backgammon can play poker at a high level. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So what's the what's your craziest poker story that you are allowed to tell? Oh, my God. Uh, There's so many of them, but I'll I'll tell you one that was uh, well, just happened two weeks ago down at the the Hard Rock. Um, No, it was at Pompano, whatever. So I'm playing, playing in a tournament. I got 60,000 in chips in front of me. Again, it's a tournament, right? And the blinds are Mm -hmm. pretty small, like 200, 400. And I am in, I forget what position I was in, but at the point, I, I had ace-king suited, right? So I raised 3x. I made it $1,200. I got a call, 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 call. Everybody, and I got like four or five calls. The flop comes over, ace-king, deuce, rainbow, right? Rainbow <laughs> means no suits or anything like that. No, no suits match. <clears throat> okay. So it comes to me, I check. And it comes all the way around and it, it checks all the way around, right? Because I'm, I'm thinking uh, I've got to have the best hand. Right. Turn comes over a four. Again, rainbow. No no connection, really. No connection, yeah. So I bet this guy raises. I re-raise. We get it all in. He's only got like 17,000, so it doesn't really cost me all that much. He yeah. had three five, so he had a straight. Okay. So half an hour later, I've got pocket kings. 
the flop. I did the same thing, raise pre-flop. Flop it comes all the way around, same guy calls. The flop comes over, ace, king, deuce, rainbow. I've got a set of kings. So I check again. Comes all the way around, guy checks, turn comes over a four. So I bet the guy raises, I re-raise all in. He calls, he had five, three again. And I was like, dude, you gotta be kidding me. Do you have five, three (laughs) tattoos somewhere on your body? It was just (laughs) the most bizarre thing for the same exact flop. And I had two monsters and the same result. It was just weird. (laughs) Oh, how do you keep from getting too emotional? I mean, you've you've made a lot of money in your life. You're not, you know, I mean, it's not the end of the world if you lose. It's fun if you win, but still being a competitive person, you know, like I got to check my emotions a lot every day because I can turn up the temperature real fast on people and they don't, and I can hurt some feelings, right? Um, How do you keep from getting too emotional and letting that, letting that kind of play into how you do? Great question. So, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a, a term in poker called, you know, going on tilt. And tilt means that you're not acting rationally because of what happened in the past. Yeah. So okay. you have to be able to compartmentalize what happened as an isolated incident. And it's going to happen. There's variance in poker. You know, so somebody only has two outs, meaning two cards that they can win with and they hit it on the river. It happens. It's frustrating, but you have to understand that if you're a 95% favorite and you lose the hand, that means 95 other times you're going to win. So yep. just keep that in mind and, and play your game. You got to stay steady. You have to have a good mental uh, balance about what's going to happen at the poker table because anything can happen. And it does. It's, you know, sometimes I use the expression sometimes live poker is fixed because you see stuff that happens and you're like, holy shit, this is crazy. There's no way. But when it happened online, people would say, oh, it's fixed. It's rigged, you know, but the software is running it, cheat codes. Exactly. But it's not because I see it happen all the time live. And I say, that's my, my phrase is live poker is fixed. And people will just laugh. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm hearing a lot of parallels to life, to business. You know, poker can be a dangerous game, a fun game and stuff, but like you can apply a lot of the way you're approaching the game. Is that is that a lot of your mentality when you're when you're in front of your folks that you're working with, the teams that you're trying to get uh get to be have, you know, have better results? Yeah. Yeah, again, it's a it's a strategy. It's about and again, taking that same approach to poker and asking yourself the question what am I looking to achieve by making this bet, right? If this bet yeah. is to get someone to fold, then I have to understand the pot odds that he or she should be getting. And if I price them out of it and they happen to hit, that's fine. They got lucky and the variance came into play. But if I stay the course and I make the right moves and then you translate it into business and you say, okay, if we're looking to do a million dollars in business by the end of the year, and we know that we're only doing, you know, 25000 a month as it is now. Where does that leave us? What do we need to do? What are some of the features and factors that we need to add to our repertoire of marketing to get to that level? You know, so we're, we're doing 85000 a month or 90000 a month to reach that level. Right? So it's yeah. just, it's thinking about it in that same gamification type of scenario when I, that's probably not the right use of gamification, but I right. think of business as a game, right? And, and I, and I play it just like a game. There's rules. You set up boundaries. You got a playing field. You get the players, 
you got to work within a certain set to achieve yeah. a goal, right? Yeah. But, and, and, and again, what I've been focused on most recently is helping people think about pivoting. You know, sometimes people forget about the money aspect of it, right? Which is the most common reason that a, a startup will fail is for the lack of funding. But it's also sometimes they'll think about it and they'll get myopic. They'll say, this is what our business is and does. And they're not willing to shift or adjust based on what the market is telling them about their mm -hmm. business. Right. So you yep. have to be able to pivot. That's what, you know, the idea for Pivotal Zen came from uh, exactly that. Yeah, that's kind of that's kind of our story over the last eight years here with Panacea. When we started the business, it was just going to be hybrid transcription for medical offices and outsource IT. And then we got into it. We we're marketing, we we're cold calling, we we're talking to people. And then we found out about this remote scribe thing. So we're like, hell, can we do this? Can we leverage our teams? And can we find people in India to be scribes and do it for cheaper, better, more effective? And we, we pivoted to scribing. We kept doing the other things. But we just said, hey, there's a lane to throw the ball to pass it on. So we, we started doing scribe. And then we, learned, we, we saw a lot of our clients having issues with revenue cycle management in their practices. Mm -hmm. So can we learn to do this? Can we find a team, build a team to do this? And boom, we started doing that. And it's just like, and, and, and now that we've got people kind of, we've got a team uh, doing sales and we've got marketing folks and we're, we're linked up with some folks to kind of run that um, so that I don't have to be running that. And we've got people doing the right things from a service standpoint. And so we're now we're at this point where we're like, okay, what's next? What are some of the other things that we need to be? Cause we have some income, we can fund some of these other avenues, mm -hmm. but that's, that's where we are right now. It's kind of in 2024 is what can we, what can we start doing to really start to, to snowball? That's good. That's smart. So, yeah. so what's next for folks that, uh, what's, what's the next big thing that you're, you're seeing that people should kind of consider pivoting to, you know, that out there? Well, I mean, it, it's, that's, it's, it depends on their existing business, right? So if you're sure. in, uh, you're in a software as a service business, I'm not suggesting to pivot into uh, a retail location. Right. Um, but what I'm saying is if the market that you're serving is also doing something else and you think that, you know, your skill set, like you just mentioned, Brian, you, you, you guys have some other opportunities that, come and are presenting themselves and then you could take advantage of that. That's what you need to be doing. You need to be thinking. Yeah, we, we look not, for not problems that yeah, need solving. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it's it's more than just problem solving though. It's it's about thinking outside the box at what your customer could you know, your potential customer, your your persona of a of your ideal customer is uh, also doing, also buying. Right. And if you could offer that as a a value add or whatever. It just, it depends on each individual. So it's, it's hard to make a blanket statement, but okay. So case in point, I'm not going to mention the name, but I have a client who is a um, software provider in the gaming space, Okay. Uh, but they wanted to do direct to consumer application, but that's totally different, right? So being a, a software wholesaler, right? In the casino industry, right? To yep. sell the product to others as a white label service with a, uh, yep. Uh, you know, a gaming component to it, as opposed to building your own and running it by yourself, direct to consumer is night and day. doesn't mean it can't be done, but it shouldn't be done in the same breath. It should be siloed sure. in that space. Yeah. And that I, you know, but it doesn't mean, you know, again, it, it, it's definitely worth the effort, 
but it just has to be executed properly so it doesn't confuse the two, right? Yeah. It's totally separate P&Ls. So what's a, what's a pivot for you in 2024? Uh, it's a good question, Brian. Actually, believe it or not, I am looking at uh, land development. Okay. Yeah. So I live in Western Palm Beach County, right? Out in Wellington, which is the horse capital. As I mentioned, my wife's an equestrian. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I could see the urban sprawl. I could see everyone moving westward. And it reminds me of Long Island back in the 90s and 2000s where everybody was moving out east. And it just became much more expensive. And the property values were exponentially increasing. I see the same thing happening here. So I actually spoke with a landowner who's got um, 10 acres on a major thoroughfare out here. And he's willing to roll the property into a deal, right? in exchange for equity. So the first thing I thought was a uh, storage facility, just because it's low maintenance, right? Yeah. And everybody needs it because there's no basements down here and everybody could Mm, use the extra. You're right. And everybody keeps acquiring stuff. And Yeah, exactly. Uh, But there's a new one that just opened up a mile away. So then I thought, all right, car wash, something low uh, Car washes are popping up everywhere, my friend. Yeah. Golly. I know. So, uh, but in the city, they just, they moved the visitor center from like a key place when you come into town, they tore it down and they're putting in a giant club wash like thing. Really? You know, subscription based car wash model. Well, the car wash model is awesome now if you think about it. So we belong to one for $26 a month. You get unlimited car washes, but realistically, how many times are you going? Yeah. Yeah. I go, you know, depending on the weather, three or four times a month. Yeah. Okay. That saves me. Yeah. So it's worth it. But, yep, absolutely. But but the idea, though, is the recurring revenue is awesome. Our, that business MRR, model. yeah, monthly recurring revenue. That's where we live, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, so right now, I've actually been researching and working with uh, land developers in the area that are willing to partner with a newbie, right? You know, yeah. so I, I recognize that I'm not going to be able to make as much uh, equity myself in the deal revenue, but, uh, you know, or, or profit in the deal, but I, I'm going to learn because I mm-hmm. just think it's, um, I see the writing on the wall that the, uh, the retail, I mean, the, the real estate market is just booming out here. It's crazy. Yeah. It's, it, I, I, it's similar, you know, Wisconsin's got a lower, uh, cost of living. It's a, it's obviously more rural. It's not a huge market, but it's, it's it's growing. There's a lot of land available. A lot of farms are selling their land and things like that. And yeah, um, I think it's an opportunity here as well. Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity. Okay, that's a big sh- that's a big pivot. Yeah. Well, again, I'm uh, <laughs> I'm I'm up for challenges. You know, I mean, it's yeah, yeah. Uh, I just look for so- cool stuff to do. So yep. and if you I can actually, own the land. So, that's so good. my my wife sent me something um, a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, uh, in Charleston. There's a thing called Crush Yard, right? And basically, it's like a pickleball. Think of Top Golf for pickleball, right? So it's it's an entertainment facility, and I never even heard the term before, but <laughs> it's like Top Golf or puttery. You okay. you go, you play, you do something, and you eat, right? And the idea is Top Golf, 60% of their revenue comes from food and beverage. Yeah. And, you know, there's a good profit margin in there, but they rent out their bays and all that stuff. So anyway, I flew up there for the day to check this place out and I was blown away. I was like, wow, this is really, really cool. 
the problem I see, at least from a franchisee perspective, is they're looking for eight to ten million for a build out of this facility, which is a lot. Yeah. Right. And to go out and raise capital on something that doesn't have so so it's not like you're going to go out and buy a piece of property and build it from the ground up, where you right. at least you have the dirt underneath it as equity, you know, in collateral to to get mm-hmm. the loan. So that's the issue that I'm up against right now. I haven't forgotten about it, but it's just not feasible, I think, until they have a, a proven track record over the next however many years that it does work. So Oh, and that's just it. You need to you know, you if you know you're gonna go in and buy a McDonald's franchise, you know they got it figured out. Yeah. You know you're gonna go in at minimum you're gonna be making X amount annually, right? Yeah. Um it's so funny that you mentioned pickleball because uh, we're at the Christmas thing with my family in a gift exchange and our my brother-in-law and his wife gave us for our family this little kind of mobile pickleball set, right? Like years ago, I worked at a Y. That's where I first learned about pickleball and everybody coming in playing pickleball. It's crazy. Right. It, it like completely uprooted. They had a huge tennis facility and nobody played tennis. Everybody's playing pickleball now. Yeah. But anyway, as like, I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, how are we supposed to play pickleball with this? Because I'm picturing, and they're like, I don't know, you go into, you know, you go up on a parking lot and you set up the lines and you put up the net and you play. I'm like, oh, and I'm, I'm my mental, my mentality is all business, right? And I'm like, how come nobody's come up with a model for like, like what you just talked about, like that Top Golf does or these facilities, like, you know, the old school big batting cages and stuff yeah. where like you, people just come in and play and the money is in what you're selling not necessarily the game itself. Yeah. So it's oh. it's a neat concept. And they digit they, they did it all digital. So it's high tech. Like you you go up, you get a card, and then you, you got an app probably and okay, you're yeah, in. Yeah. And then so you just tap it on any of this. So they have 30 wine and beer dispensers that you just tap on it and then you order the food and you get a text when it's ready and you just go pick it up yeah. in the window. So it's it's definitely pretty cool. This, you said this was in Charleston. Uh, it's in Mount Pleasant, which is about Mount twenty Pleasant. minutes from okay. Charleston. So how many of these facilities are there? One at the moment. They've got one, and so yeah, they're trying. They're doing to, another they're one in to... Orlando, and then they wanted to do one down here in Wellington. And again, it's I, I, I haven't written it off completely, but I wrote back to them and I said, "Listen, it's preliminarily. Oh, I'm it, I'm finding it tough to go out and raise the capital, just because the numbers are not." proven out as of yet. Like you mentioned, when you talk about a Chick-fil-A or McDonald's, you know what the numbers are going to be. It's pretty easy to figure out, so to say. So, I mean, yeah. What I mean, are they telling you kind of their estimates on kind of population density or where these things got to be placed to get enough foot traffic? Because uh, popular not, everywhere, but you need a lot of people. It's a, it's a marketing play. I mean, you're definitely going to yeah. have to do um, uh, personal I outreach think- to the community and let people know about it being there, and then you're creating the buzz on social media, things like that. I would think but, Phoenix uh, would be a good market. Um, have to be indoor probably mostly, but like, because the the early and the early and mid retirement age, those all those folks play pickleball. Yeah, I know. It's and like all those community, all those gated communities that have like community centers within their gates, they all have t- tennis courts where nobody's playing tennis; they're all playing pickleball. Yeah, all I long. watched. The other day on TV, I saw a tournament with $160,000 for first prize in a pickleball match. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap, that's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So there's big money in it, apparently. 
I don't know. Have you played? Have you played the game? My wife went out and bought, you know, the obligatory Paddles. set and some right. balls. We went up to the tennis court here, uh, which they turned into a pickleball court, of course, yeah. in our community. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's it's fun because you don't have to exert as much energy as you do playing tennis. But people do run around like lunatics in the in this. Yeah, and, yeah crazy spin trick shots and yeah. stuff like that. They take it very seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I, like like I said, I played probably it's ten years ago or so now. The last time I played, and it was fun. But I was, I was there's two young. I was playing with another young person, and these two older folks. They were probably in their sixties, and they were just wiping the floor with us. Really? And we're athletic, and you know yeah. we can dunk a basketball, but we can't beat a couple senior citizens at at this this giant ping pong game. Yeah, well, it's there's there's got to be skill involved then when it comes to that because they know where <laughs> to place the ball where you're not going to be. You know? Yeah, for sure. All right, so let's shift a little bit to some fun stuff. Besides poker, what are you doing? Poker and working out, what are you doing for fun? Like you, your wife, uh, you and your wife like to do some stuff together? Or what, what's Travel, fun? yeah. So we travel. love to travel. So, you know, during COVID, we did staycations all over the state of Florida, which was awesome. We went down to the Keys. Yeah. You know, so the Keys is like a three-hour drive for us. We go over to Tampa. Uh, I've got some family over there. Um, you know, the... There's a, a hotel called The Breakers here, which actually I'm going tomorrow to, to oh. Breakers with a friend of mine that I've known for 15 years. He's from England, but he's coming over. Uh, actually, he's originally from the States. He lives in England now, but uh, he's coming back. Uh, he got back yesterday for uh, vacation. So we're going there. That's pretty cool. Up to St. Augustine, I'm going to uh, uh, a Met game. on Mets play on March 1st, spring training, so mm -hmm. against St. Louis, you know, stuff like that. And then, you know, big travel, we're going to do um, we're going to do Italy in June or July, I think, for the month. Uh, and um, we're going to, it's going to be like a uh, one place as a central location, but then we're going to yeah. visit and other places. Do a hub and then boom, boom. Yeah. month in Italy. That's one of the things I want to mark off my list too. Where's somewhere that you want to go you haven't been? Australia. Australia. Yeah, we got friends there. In fact, I'll show you for the people that are listening, right? See this little yeah, yeah. Boom, the boomerang up there? Yeah. So we've got friends when we lived in Antigua. Got friends who uh, he was the captain of the cricket team in the West Indies. Bennett, okay. Bennett King. And uh, they came to visit us in New York, and they brought us that uh, that boomerang. It was pretty cool. Nice. So we're gonna. It's definitely on the bucket list to go down there. The flight is twenty something hours, oh, so yeah. we're gonna try and coordinate something like that, and like a Tahiti trip, something like that. The bungalows over the water, which is something yep, we like. To those do. look really cool. Yeah, my wife wants to go to Fiji. Yeah, Fiji. That's probably in those one places. Of them. Yeah, yeah. You see those pictures where they're. It's just like. You walk out up here, and then there's bungalows, and you look down through the at the fish. Yeah, we did that stuff, actually yeah. here in Jamaica. At, okay, uh, yeah, Sandals oh, you can has do it in one, Jamaica too, and it was awesome. It was really awesome. Have you seen those ones where you actually you get you get taken to your room and you stay underwater, and it's it's like, uh, gosh, my wife sent me a video a couple weeks ago where uh, they take you out in a sub and they they uh they connect the sub to your to your underwater room and you 
you go in there, it's pressurized, and yeah. then they leave, and you're there by yourself all night. <laughs> if you need anything, you have to call them, and they have to come back out, and it takes them a while to get there. Wow. I, I think I that did see crazy. something like that on the internet. It was pretty cool. I don't know if I'd want to do that. I, nah, I don't like, know. I, don't know. I, yeah. I like fresh air. <laughs> right? Right. I get a little stale down there. <laughs> yeah. Hun, don't fart, okay? Yeah. I know you. Right. But uh, oh, man. also we had a, on the list is a rent an RV and just travel out west, go see uh, Yosemite and and all that stuff. I almost did that two years ago during COVID. We have some clients that are out in Wyoming and Nevada and didn't want to go through the whole rigmarole of the flights and stuff like that and mm -hmm. didn't want to be away from the family. And I was that close to pulling the trigger on like a 30 footer because I was mapping out all the places, all the uh, KOAs that you could stay at, you know, and have hookups and right. have all the, the things you needed and stuff, but ended up not doing it, but it was close. I really want to do that. I think that'd be fun. Yeah, definitely. So uh, cool. Traveling guy. All right. Hey, I think we're getting right up. We're getting pretty close to an hour. Okay. Um, are you a sports guy besides, uh, are you a team sports guy? Uh, yeah, Those, I'm a Jet fan. <laughs> I you're admit a Jet that. fan. Oh, you're a heartbreak guy. Yeah, tell me about it. It's, it's Oh, my Lord. It kills me. I saw them at Shea Stadium in 1977, showing my age. Oh. I was probably 11 years old. And uh, I've been a fan ever since, you know, yeah. so. I, that's that's the part about it. It's the thick and the thin. Yeah. Right? It's been pretty thin. I'm a Met fan, yeah, been... so in 1986, I was ecstatic. You know, that was phenomenal. Yeah. Um and I'm a Rangers baby. fan. I'm an, I'm an Islanders fan originally, but I'm also a Rangers okay. fan. I'm not one of the... So generally speaking, it's funny. I was playing poker the other day and a guy says to me, so you're a Jet fan. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so you hate the Giants? I'm like, no, why would I hate the Giants, right? And I'm a Met fan. So you hate the Yankees, right? I'm like, no, it's not It's not, not really. the rivalry. I, if, if the Mets aren't in it, I want to see the Yankees win. If the Jets right. aren't in it, I want to see the Giants win. If the Islanders aren't in it, I want to see the Rangers win. I'm a New Yorker. Yep. So, yep, exactly. And I, I've, it's the same way with me. A lot of a lot of folks, because I was born and raised in Texas, so I'm a Cowboys fan. And everybody in Wisconsin hates the Cowboys because of the 90s and the Cowboys beat up on the Packers a lot when the Packers are really good. And they just aren't over it. But yeah. I love to see the Packers win. It's good for business. Everybody's happy. And, you know, it's a neat franchise kind of story. But um, same thing. It's like, well, then you must hate the Texans or you must hate. No, no, I just. I, I don't really like any of the teams that are in my division because <laughs> I want them to lose to kind of help us out with the division, but for sure. Yeah. I prefer college football, actually. College football to me is much more exciting because they're playing for something, it seems like. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's changed. That Even college football has changed over the years. The, the whole narrative behind, you know... Uh, pay to play and all that kind of stuff. Well, there's just so many millions of dollars in those in that in that sport to begin with. It's a it's a touchy subject. Yeah. What do you think? Should payers get money? Should players get money in college? Well, I think what they're doing now, if I'm not mistaken, is they're actually uh, doing uh, deals where they can get paid for endorsements and stuff now. Yeah. 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 We had someone on uh, one of our first couple guests. I think it was our second guest. She's an attorney um, that's real big into that. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, they, so she's fighting for. You know, folks to at least be able to protect their informational property, their own, you know, uh, their own brand yeah. to be able to, you know, get paid. Absolutely. I've got no problem with that. No, I've me neither. No problem with that. So cool, bud. Well, this has been great. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, I've taken a couple things down that I'm going to start applying immediately. Um, 
And yeah, I appreciate your time today. Not a problem, and, Brian. It was my pleasure. Uh, I enjoyed the conversation. Hey, absolutely. Best of luck getting some land this year. Yeah. And uh, whether it's pickleball or not, I look forward to hearing about how you're moving and shaking in that space too. Well, when when this uh, when the dust settles on this deal, uh, I will definitely let you know. Awesome. I'll come down to Florida and check out your place. There you go. <laughs> That's your excuse to come down. Yeah. Hey, I was in Florida two years ago during COVID for a wedding. We stayed three blocks north in Miami of that building that went down. Really? The building that collapsed? Yeah. Yeah. Holy it shit. It was, we left town and that like three hours after we left town, we drove down, we put the family in a, a van and drove down. Wow. And we had a newborn and stuff, but yeah, that building went down. It was freaky because you see a lot of those buildings and sometimes you wonder based on that, that architecture, if the, why those things are even standing. Yeah. Right. It's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy.